All right, what's up, Salt Company? As she mentioned, my name is Drake. Uh, great to see you all. If I haven't met you, come up and say hi. I'd love to meet you guys. Um, but go ahead, open up 1 Thessalonians 2. So we love getting to books of the Bible where we can just go verse by verse through these things. And so we are at 1 Thessalonians 2. You're looking at Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 Thessalonians. If you're hanging out with Timothy, you've gone too far. Okay, so 1 Thessalonians 2. And we're just going to read right through the text that we're going through tonight. Starting in verse 1. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children, so being affectionately desirous of you. We were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also. How holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. All right, guys, so Paul is writing this out of like this fatherly affection for the people in Thessalonica. And I found a, a pretty, pretty funny commentary that uh, mentioned that Paul is actually speaking to some negative feedback that he's getting from other people in Thessalonica. And this is what the person, the commentator, said. Paul is answering the insidious attacks being made by scandal mongers outside the church because of their hatred for him. Here's the thing, guys. I have no idea what a scandal monger is, but what I do know is that you don't want them around, okay? You just don't. And so these dang scandal mongers are coming into the church and saying, Paul is speaking completely out of selfish gain. Like he's just trying to rally the troops to make Paul's name famous, and Paul's coming out right away. It's like, no, like I didn't visit you in vain. I didn't visit you for my own glory. There was, it wasn't that there was no purpose to it. Actually, if we look at verse 12, we see the entire purpose of his ministry, the entire purpose of why we as Salt Company exist, it says that you would walk in a manner worthy of God. And that's our big idea tonight, to walk in a manner worthy of God. And I think we need to ask ourselves, okay, what does that mean? If it's the big idea, we should probably know what it means. Right? And it's the thing that we see throughout Scripture. We see it in the Bible. We've maybe heard it in sermons to walk worthy of God. But if we slow down and ask ourselves, we don't really know what it means. And so the first thing that might come to mind is that we need to walk in a way to earn our standing before God. Here's the thing. We can shut that down right away. Like that's a complete opposite story of what the Bible says. 
The Bible says that you were too broken. You were too far off to even exist in relationship with God. That Jesus had to come from heaven to earth to live a perfect life, to die in your place, and to raise again from the dead to offer you a free invitation. And for some of you tonight, that's all you need to hear. For the rest of my message, you just need to hear that God has provided a way for you to enter into relationship with him for all of eternity. And so we see, okay, it's not walking in a manner worthy of God isn't us earning God's favor at all. So what is it? It is to recognize that you have been adopted into God's family now. That you have been brought into his holy presence now. And now you are called to live a life that matches that reality. Because it's not suitable for us to walk as if we haven't been adopted by God when we have. And so for us to experience the most glorious life, for us to experience the most fulfilled, the most joyful life, the call from this text is that we are to walk in a worthy response to what Christ has done. That you are a son and daughter of the king. He's saying walk like that. But the glorious life is something that we see promised all over the world, right? Like we get claims from media, from other people around us. Like this is the way to live a glorious life. So I want to look at three specifically. Okay, we're going to look at success. We're going to look at fame. We're going to look at fortune. First one, success. Tom Brady, after winning three Super Bowls, was in an interview. And he was quoted saying, there's got to be more than this. And I don't think he was talking about four more Super Bowls, okay? Like, he's literally getting to the point of his career where he's accomplished the best of the best, and he's like, there's got to be more than this. A famous philosopher by the name of Madonna, um, (laughs) some of you might not know her. Okay, she's before your time. Before my time, just to clarify, that's important. Um, She said this, top of the game in the music industry for some people's taste. Um, Again and again, my drive in life is from this horrible feeling, this horrible fear of being mediocre. And that's always pushing me, pushing me. Because even though I've become somebody, I still have to prove that I'm somebody. My struggle has never ended and it probably never will. Some of you feel that. Like, you're, man, today I killed it. Like, I crushed it. But you're like, man, I have to do that again tomorrow. And the next day. And the next day. We have to show up and prove our worth time and time again. Okay, let's look at fortune. There's a man by the name of John D. Rockefeller lived in the early 1900s. And this is a quote that shares with you a little bit about his fortune and wealth that he had, okay? So at the peak of his wealth, Rockefeller had a net worth of about 1% of the entire U.S. economy. Doing all right. He owned 90% of all the oil and gas industry of his time. Compared to today's rich guys, Rockefeller makes Bill Gates and Warren Buffett look like paupers. He was making some money, we could say. And he had a reporter come up to him and say, how much money is enough? Just a simple question, how much money is enough? His response, just a little bit more. And in that statement... We find the, result, the answer to every pursuit that the world offers to you. You fill in the blank. How much blank will be enough? 
just a little bit more. Time and time again, we see that the world promises the glorious life, but falls so incredibly far short. So tonight, we're going to turn to the Bible. Like, what does the Bible have to say of what the glorious life looks like? But if we're being honest, as we approach the Bible, like, I'm sure a lot of us are thinking, like, okay, I know walking in a manner worthy of God. I know following God's commands. I know that that's what I should be doing, but it's not what I want to do. Like, it doesn't sound like the glorious life. It's like, I know I should get ahead of my homework, but I don't really want to do it. Okay, why is that? Not the homework piece. Why is following God's commands seem like something, I should, I should do this, but I don't really want to do this. It doesn't sound like the glorious life to me. We're going to see tonight that living a life worthy of God is actually the way that God designed for us to experience the glorious life. It is the path for us to experience the most glorious life we could. And so Paul is going to display it in his ministry to the Thessalonians in two ways. Okay, so he's going to first talk about submitting to God's authoritative word. And then he's going to say that we need to seek to live a life in a loving way towards others. And here's the thing, in our culture today, a lot of times we hear one of those, but not both. Okay, so one side might be, okay, this is the authoritative word that we are standing our ground. Our convictions are strong. We are holding fast to this. But in order to do that, we can't be gentle. We can't be loving. We have to be, have this brute force to us in how we share. Or there's a side of, man, we just need to love people. We just need to love them. And actually saying that there's some authority or rule over their life isn't actually loving, so we can't have those things together. But the crazy thing about Paul in this passage is that he holds those simultaneously in harmony. One, where the authority of God's word comes along, our need to love one another. Okay, so let's look at the second half of verse 2 again. He said, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from any error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. So first, Paul's going to address the authority of God's word that we're to proclaim. So why is Paul experiencing such great conflict and sharing the gospel. Like, why do we experience such great conflict or at least feel attention in us even sharing the gospel with people? Well, it's because both their world and our world today is saying that the path to the glorious life is for you to climb up the ladder to your own glory, for you to pursue after whatever desires you want, for you to be the authority on your own life, for you to determine the path that you are to go forward. And so there's no way that we can submit to something else. But Paul comes in and said, you're wrong, okay? Like the word of God holds no error. And actually the word of God says that the, the way to the glorious life is not to climb up the ladder, but to climb down. Okay, to follow Jesus and emptying his life for the sake of other people. It's not to be your own authority, but it's meant to submit to the only authority that there truly is. 
It's not to make your name great, but it's to make Christ great. It's to realize that you can't do it on your own. There's a lot of self-help motivation out there that tells us you just need to gear up and you can do it. We see in Scripture, no, you've fallen short of the glory of God. You can't do it on your own. You need a Savior. You need Christ in your life. And so this opposition is to be expected when we share the gospel with people. Guys, look at the life of Christ, right? The Lord that created all things comes to this earth, and he lives perfectly. Never has a lustful thought. Never has anger towards anyone. Never speaks out of ill motives. He only ever spoke the truth. What was the result of his life? He was put up on a criminal's cross, and by the world's standards, he was deemed a liar. And here's what we need to see. Just because the culture does not like the truth that comes in God's authoritative word doesn't mean it's not true. Salt Company, this is why we want you to bring your own Bible. And this is why we say, if you don't have a Bible, take one of ours on your way out, because we want you to see that the words that we proclaim are from this book. This is all we have. This is the source of the foundation of everything we do. Guys, our opinions don't matter. Like, my opinions, you can toss in the trash. We, we don't care about those. We just want to proclaim God's word to you, because that is the authoritative word that we stand on. God's word is the only word that when we feel challenged by it, the only reason can be because we are flawed, not God's word. Paul is saying that this message that's rooted in God's authority is what I will proclaim because he is the ultimate authority, authority over all. I'm not seeking to, to please other people. I'm not seeking to, plea, to speak a message of flattery, but no, I'm, I'm seeking to please God. So, company, is there any area of your life that you find yourself compromising, proclaiming God's authoritative word for the acceptance of other people? Because though it might not be a pleasing message for people to hear, it is actually the only message that brings them into relationship with God. It is the only message that they truly need to hear and that people need to hear this message in order to be brought in that relationship, in order to walk a manner worthy of God, in order to experience the most glorious life possible. That is the message that they need to hear. But Paul didn't just stop at sharing the message. Let's look at verse 7. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you have become very dear to us. For remember, brothers, that our labor and toil, we work night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. So Paul is saying to the Thessalonians, I loved you from the bottom of my heart. I so dearly loved you that I'm not just going to come and share this message, which you need to hear. I'm also going to share my life. He says that he labor and to- labored and toiled, working so hard that he wouldn't be a burden to them, that they would be as freed up as possible to hear this good news. Where a lot of people today, in order to get their message forward, is more out of force 
and saying, what can you give up for my sake? But we see Paul coming forward to the Thessalonians in gentleness and love, saying, what can I give up for yours? What's the posture of your heart before others? Like when you think about the people in your life that you want to share the gospel with, you think about the roommates that you have, you think about the family members that you have, are you coming forward saying that same thing of what can I give up for your sake? How can I empty my life? How can I serve you? How can I die to myself for your sake? Guys, maybe some of you have the authoritative word part down. Your convictions are strong. You hold fast to the truth. But what you need to hear tonight is that we're also called to serve and to love other people in gentleness. And we know that this is the path because this is exactly what we see in the life of Christ. Let's look at Philippians 2, 6 through 8. You can look at it on the screen. Who, Christ, though he was born in the form of God, didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so Paul realizes that he is able to die to himself like Christ because now Christ is in his heart. Salt Company, I want you to realize that you can die to yourself for the sake of others like Christ did because Christ is in your heart if you have put your faith in him. And so it says that he toils and exhorts them. He encourages them so that they would walk in a manner worthy of God. Why is Paul investing his entire life speaking boldly, experiencing conflict, laying down his life for them to walk in a manner worthy of God? Why should we strive with everything in us to walk in a manner worthy of God. Let's read verse 12 one more time and focus on that last part. So it says, We exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. What comes to mind when you think about the word glory? Another word that we see throughout the Bible, but I think we need to slow down and ask ourselves, what does that word actually mean? Like God is glorious, all to the glory of God. I've heard it described as God is infinitely famous. Like God is amazing. Or that God's name is far above any name that this earth or heaven could ever have. The sum of everything couldn't match God's incredible name. Or that there is infinite splendor to be attributed to his name. Or we see in Scripture a bunch of times where people even get a glimpse of God's glory. And their only response is to fall flat on their face because they think that they are going to die in the presence of God. The glory of God that we see laid out in Scripture is something that only can promote awe within our hearts. So what does it mean that we enter into his glory? Like we see in scripture as well that we will be glorified one day. What does that mean? Because so I think we get different experiences, different moments in life where we get a glimpse into what this looks like, right? So you're thinking about different trips you've been on, different mountains you've hiked, different things that create all within your heart as you look out on the creation. And so here's what I want you to do. I want us to spend a little bit of time imagining this. So everyone, close your eyes. So I want you to imagine first... You are at 
the Grand Canyon, and you are walking up to the edge, and some of you are like, Drake, I wouldn't step near that edge, but I want you to imagine you are at the edge of the Grand Canyon, and you are looking down, and this canyon shoots as far as you can see. You can't even fathom how far these canyons go, and then you look up, and you see that the canyon goes for miles and miles, and you are just in awe. You see the sunrise slowly coming and bouncing the sun off the rocks so that the different colors of the rock are shining and you are just caught up in the beauty of the moment. Or maybe you're at the top of a hike. Okay, so you've just been grinding up this trail, working your way up to the top where you get to this viewpoint. You look out over this valley that stretches for miles. And you maybe see a peak of a mountain that when you were on the ground, you thought that was incredibly high up, but now you are towering over that. You see little things moving around called cars that seem so small in comparison to where you are now, and it makes you feel incredibly small by where you are standing. Or maybe you're at the the shore of the ocean, and you're amazed by it. It just seems like it keeps going on and on, and you hear the crashing of the powerful waves, and there's so much wonder and mystery as you consider, man, what's the breadth, what's the depth, like what is in that ocean? Now I want you to imagine... What's the look on your face as you look out on these beautiful things? Like a moment where all you can say is, wow. The first reaction you do is you pull your buddies along. You're like, you have to see this. Maybe your jaw is dropping as you behold the beauty before you. And you realize that nothing else can steal your attention in this moment because of the beauty that's before your eyes. Okay, open your eyes. All these moments of complete awe, complete and utter awe, are a a glimpse of another day to come. The reaction that you have when you look on splendorous things in the world only gives you a taste of a moment to come. Like the sense of your jaw dropping when you behold beauty is meant to ready you for another day that's coming. All these moments have built in you an anticipation for the day that you will appear before God, and it gives you a glimpse of the moment. It gives you a glimpse of the reaction of the way that God will one day look at you. That he will fix his eyes on you and be so filled with wonder and delight and joy at the beauty that you behold that you will be glorified. You will be like him, and he can't take his eyes off of you like a groom looking down the aisle at his bride, he will be amazed. And in that moment, you realize that the way that you have imagined him looking down on you right now couldn't have been more far from the truth. In that moment, you realize that you are made famous in the eyes of God. That he will look on you And be in awe of who you are. That you will become to him a splendor so great that the Grand Canyon couldn't steal a second of his gaze. C.S. Lewis said this in his sermon, Weight of Glory. He said, To remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you talk to, don't say that person out loud. Um, I'm sure there's some shoulder nudges or elbow nudges. The most 
uninteresting person you talk to may one day be a creature that if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship it. That God will one day look on you in such great delight and he will say, well done, my good and faithful servant. And in that moment, we realize that that moment fulfills all the greatest longings of our heart. We want people to be proud of us. We want to live a life where, that matters. We want to realize that we are valued and cherished. And in this moment, you'll feel the greatest sense of contentment and joy and satisfaction and completeness and peace because you realize that God could not be more proud of who you are. That what you've been chasing after in this world and failing to find will ultimately be experienced when you stand before God on that day. Saul Company, this is the day that we want you all to fix your eyes on. The incredible moment where all anxiety and worry and stress and lust and greed and anger will just be gone in an instant. And we will rest in absolute joy. So let's revisit the phrase, to walk in a manner worthy of God. Why does Paul spend his life so that they would walk in a manner worthy of God? Here's the thing, guys. That that glorious day is coming. But Paul also wants us to see that us experiencing glory isn't just for that future day. But it's actually something that we can begin experiencing now. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 3, 17 through 18. It says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Here's what it's saying. Because the Spirit of God is within you, if you've put your faith in Christ, You choosing obedience is you choosing to experience a greater sense of God's glory now. A greater sense of what it will be like on that glorious day where God fully delights in who you've become. You get to experience a greater sense of that now. Guys, how would you live differently if right now you realize God isn't looking down on you in shame? He's not looking down on you in disgust with furrowed brow. But he actually looks down on you right now in complete and utter delight. Like for you to realize that every step of obedience brings about a greater understanding of the delight that he has for you. It's not going to grow that delight. It can't grow anymore. A greater understanding of that delight that he has for you. Every step of obedience, though hard because our desires are flawed, is allowing us to experience another glimpse of the glorious life that Jesus has already welcomed us into. Okay, guys, you know what was probably an incredibly painful experience that all of us have gone through, that all of us can unite around, okay? Teething, okay? Teething probably sucked, right? It's a bunch of knives shooting through your gums, like tearing through them. And in that moment, I bet, we couldn't talk yet, but I bet, We were probably thinking, hey, I don't like this whole discomfort thing. I'll stick with the milk, right? 
I'll just live on that. I don't need my teeth piercing through. But what we didn't realize is that the discomfort we were going through was making us ready to experience far greater food than bland milk. Things like Chick-fil-A and steak and piping hot french fries dipped in ranch and a hot dog at a Twins game. Come on. Okay, striving to walk. Bring back. I know you got all you guys thinking. Unfortunately, McDonald's is closed. Um, <laughs> striving to walk in a manner worthy of God. Though it might be uncomfortable to us, though it might be difficult for us, it is readying the appetite of our soul to experience far greater treasures than the bland ones that are found on this earth. C.S. Lewis in The Weight of Glory as well says it like this, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go about making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. It's all come to We are far too easily pleased. And us striving to be the type of people that walk more and more in a manner worthy of God is for us to be the type of people who experience a greater and greater ex experience of the glory that's to come. For us to experience the most joy-filled, fulfilled life. So simply put, Paul is trying to get us to see that walking in a manner worthy of God is the most joyful life we could live. Saul companies, this is why we strive with everything in us to say, follow us as we follow Christ. This is why we invest our life so that you would strive for holiness with everything that is in you. Guys, we're not asking you to give up joyful things that this college experience offers. We're asking you to realize that that is far less than the joys that Jesus provides for you. That you are far too easily pleased by what is before you. So what are you allowing to be a temporary joy that's deceptive to take place of an eternal joy? So when, Saul Company, when we say things like stop sleeping with your boyfriend or girlfriend or stop staying the night at their house, we're not just trying to slap you on the wrist and say stop doing that. We're honestly saying Christ is better. When we say to give up the life that you are chasing for yourself because we want you to give up the pathetic plans that you have, it's because Christ offers you a, such a great, greater life to live in him. The glorious life that you have searched to find in this world is only found in Christ. And here's the crazy thing. Christ is asking us to give up a life chasing after our own glory. And only in doing that do we find the life that actually leads to us being glorified. So I'll come to the call for your life is to strive in every way to rid your life of sin, to strive in every way to become more like Christ because every step you take of obedience towards God welcomes you into a greater experience of the glory that he has for you now. Not to earn God. He's already done all that for you. 
He's inviting you to experience more and more of him now. So let's strive with everything in us to walk in a manner worthy of God. Let's pray. Father, we, we hear messages like this. I, I read texts like this, and I just realize how, how much I fall short how much I I long to be that type of person, but I fall short of it time and time again. And I need to hear again that it's not about my performance, but it's completely how Christ performed on my behalf. That we get to come before you in a relationship because Christ, you paid it all on the cross. We get to worship you. We get to be invited into relationship with you. And Father, I feel in my own heart the many times I find myself pursuing after lesser joys in this world convincing myself that seeking my own praise and my own glory is what I want. But Christ, you've, you've offered so much more. Father, I pray that we would realize tonight that we want to be people that live for that greater day that's to come. We want to be people that strive in any, any and every way to live in a manner worthy of God because we see that that is the most joyful the most glorious life that we could ever live. Father, it's in your name that we pray. Amen.